How you doing? How did you like Lincoln Lake? How many of you, that threw you off a little bit this morning? You're already 15 minutes late usually, and now you're 25 minutes late. That's what it means for this service, but it's good to see you. We didn't get any snow last night. Uh, I remember two days ago, it was like, oh, three to six inches, and there's all this paranoia, and I woke up this morning, I was expecting, you know, um, manna uh, from heaven out on my lawn, and it was like sun, and it just felt good. I was like, thank you, Jesus for doing what you typically don't do in Michigan, which is um, <laughs> the opposite of what I was expecting. Um, it's good to have you here. Um, you came to a, a good service. Last night, I spoke the whole night with my zipper down. <laughs> and uh, I honestly don't think I've ever done that before in 21 uh, years of ministry. And um, the front three rows, they were particularly distracted. Um, and uh, it was just funny. I had three women come up to me with ripped off portions of their bulletin with a note after the service. Um, one was right here and just kind of handed it to me like we we're doing a drug deal. Um, and it was, I just look at it and your, your zipper was down. It's like I'd already heard it from four people at that point. And then there was one in the back and then there was one in the hall. Your zipper is down. It wasn't down at that point. I had like a man wall formed and I zipped it up after the service. Um, but, uh, or maybe you came to the wrong service. That, and now that I'm thinking about it, it would have been more exciting last night for you and kept your attention. But my eyes are up here. Uh, <laughs> today. I can't believe in a little over a month we're going to be making the big move. And uh, it's been a lot of years in the making, a lot of, a lot of faith and uh, sacrifice and passion uh, from a lot of people in this place over the last few years. Um, so much, it's like hard to put into words the Herculean effort um, by so many of you and so many of the leaders and the team that I'm blessed to, to work with. And it's almost here, or we're almost there, rather, <laughs> because I feel like it's been a journey of ascent to get there. And um, I'm just so blessed. Somebody wrote me an email last week. They're from another state, a larger ministry in another state. And uh, this guy was encouraging me coming down the home stretch of our building. Uh, project he's been following from a distance and he was pumping me full of affirmation and he finished a paragraph with a sentence that sort of caught me off guard and it honestly didn't even sound right at first he said I know the work God has for impact is about to enter a new and exciting season you're almost to the starting line and I thought the starting line is this is not this is the finish line and then he went on the next paragraph talking about the starting line. I had somebody last night come up and say, it's like we're at the Jordan and we crossed the Jordan, but after the Jordan, and how exciting that is, you look up and you see Jericho. And you realize, wow, that, that is the starting line. And I was kind of sitting there thinking about it, and in my mind, phrases were coming to me like, it's not almost over. It's just the beginning. Are you ready, Jay? And are you readying the people for what's to come? And as I continue growing 
and my faith and my walk with God and as, as a leader of, of this church that he has given me care for as an under-shepherd, um, I've had to, over the years, resist time and time again the urge to play a safe and, and to continue to follow God to the dangerous places that take courageous obedience. And there are sometimes um, I don't want to do or go where God wants me to go and do, but I just know he's called us to do it and he's made it so clear and I just have to acquiesce and I have to submit and I have to surrender and say, God, in my human strength, my instincts say, just stop and rest and chill and veg and coast. And God's like, no, no lead and follow and obey and trust and risk. And I've been asking God in prayer specifically to keep our church caring and daring as we move into the future. Both those things are so important. Um, that's why I love that line in the song that we sang, you make me brave. You make me brave. And I need that. I don't know if you need that in your life, but I need that as a parent, um, as a leader, as a friend, as a citizen in this country. I want to keep dreaming big and taking big risks for the kingdom, but it calls for bravery and boldness that doesn't come naturally, even if you know God and have seen him do the impossible time and time again. Something in me wants to shrink back to controlled norms or knowns, to, to recoil into comfort zones in times like this. And as I thought about staying that caring and daring faith community, uh, um, while cutting wood one evening this last week, a thought came to my, my brain. And it was this. It is one thing to be saved by God. It is quite another to be braved by God. And I, and I feel like we need that in this new season, to be braved by God. Um, we can get saved by God, go over the Jordan, but you need to be braved by God to hit Jericho and uh, to trust him there. And this is why being called out to trust God um, it makes your stomach turn because it always made people's stomach turn because that was the way of Jesus and the invitation of Jesus. The, the song we just sang speaks of that as he was talking to Peter to get out of the boat and join him in walking on the water. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. That's all about trust. It's all about trust. And a life of trust is a life of risk. And a life of risk is a life of faith. And a life of faith is a life of courage. There's no way around that as a Christian. But staying daring and courageous is challenging when comfort and certitude and convenience keep tempting you to like take it easy or play it safe. Because these are the gravitational pulls of the soul we must resist personally and communally as we move into the new building. The sense that we've reached the end or the finish line that we can sit back and coast. No. As my friend said, you're almost to the starting line. This emphatic reality rings in my ears uh, even as I stand before you today. The starting line. For the last 15 years, uh, our church has been a dreaming church. It's been a daring church. Probably because we were started with that instinct or impulse by Phil and Andra to be that kind of a church 15 years ago. And we've stayed bold even in seasons of scary scarcity and struggle over the years. And the ones that have been here from the beginning know what I'm talking about. 
to just keep forging forward in faith when you look around you and you are hanging by a thread and there is scary scarcity around here. And it's admirable that we've been a church of big dreams, but we have to dream on to stay on the scent of sacrifice, to risk, resist the urge to coast. We've dr- dreamed and we've, we've dared, but we must dream on. And that's why every year we take time around this season to remind our church family of the practical implications of being a part of a spiritual revival, a modern-day miracle or movement. Namely, we talk about the stewardship of our financial resources and God's call to put them first in our finances, what I like to call the sacrament of supremacy, that he knows he's first, the provision to fuel the vision of what's to come. I remember getting so nervous um, to introduce this tender topic along the way as a pastor when I first began to speak on it, knowing that people don't like you messing with their um, money or hearing talks about tithing. But over the years, I've seen that talking about tithing isn't so much what God wants from you as it is a life that God wants for you, a life aligned with divine order that leads to divine blessing. Uh, The title of the message today is First Responders, and I I got this just about a week and a half ago when I was pulling off to the side of the road again and again on Main Street, and um, there were all kinds of volunteer, um, you know, first responders going by, and there were fire trucks going by, and there were ambulances and and police cars, whatever was going on, it was crazy, it was an all-call. And I remember just continuing to pull off the side of the road and and thinking about those first responders. And when I think of first responders, I think of people who are trained with a certain mentality. The the traits of this mentality are easy to see in a person um, who values their bravery. They're, They're, number one, moved by the mission. They live to give and to serve. They voluntarily sacrifice. They always listen for the call. They want to be in on the action. They're the first to say yes. They don't see needs as inconvenience. That's what they're there for. They put their lives on the line daily. They don't retreat. They respond. It was interesting. uh, I didn't think about this in the other services, but my my sister, my brother-in-law are in a nice little safe community in North Carolina, Apex, uh, North Carolina, And just a day and a half ago, there was uh, some sort of assault in the parking lot near them. And um, all of a sudden, cars came in and police cars and this team came in and the guy actually came out of his house with a gun and started shooting and the guy was killed, their next door neighbor. And I I thought, man, who, who are these people that just hear the call, go toward the danger, and sometimes it's nothing and they can de-escalate it, but sometimes they lay their lives on the line and it's life or death. These are just crazy people that I respect. And we're in a season as a church when it comes to giving and serving and reaching and welcoming and sacrificing where we need more first responders, people poised to respond to the call of action. Months ago, we were reading through the books of of poetry in the Old Testament as a church, 
And I was reading that familiar passage in Proverbs 3 where it talks about trusting God. You may have learned this one growing up as a kid. I know I did. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. How many of you remember memorizing that when you were younger? Yeah. For, for some reason, I never paid attention to the context of that, that venerated verse. I'd never seen the context of trust or the action steps of trust or the sacrifice that, that trust takes. To me, it was this lucky rabbit's foot you hung around your neck or in frames around your house so that God would make your path straight or another way of saying it, make your life better. But as I read it a while back, I was struck with what surrounded this Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 reality in the text. The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would call it back in the day. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Proverbs 3. And we're going to actually not just read 5 and 6, we're going to read 1 through 10. And I want us to ready our heart as we take in God's word for us. Starting at verse 1 of Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, because we're forgetters. I, that was one thing my son, Caleb, was like, why do you forget? You know, why do you disobey? And I remember him just saying to me one day, just, Dad, I don't know why, I'm just a forgetter. I'm a forgetter, Dad. He said, that's why I have this wooden spoon here. It's, it's helpful so that you become a rememberer. But keep my commands in your heart, son. <laughs> they always make fun of me because I'll be like, son, get downstairs with those Nerf guns, you know. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. I love this verse. Let love and loyalty never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. That's huge. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Revere the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. How many need that? I'm almost 45, and I'm like, man, I'm needing that bone thing for sure. <laughs> Honor the Lord with your money, verse 9, with the first fruits of all your resources. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Right there, close to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, there's all kinds of stuff packed in that text. Just some initial observations, simple things that jumped out at me after reading this popular text. First, that let love and loyalty never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. I long to have a life marked with or characterized by love and loyalty. I really think out of Every characteristic, the people that I look up to the most, respect the most, are, are loyal people, not flaky people, not slackers, but just these people that stay true through and through in the good times and the bad days. They have loyalty and they have love, and they've, they've bound that around their neck, and they've ensconced that on the very tablet of their heart. 
It's hard to find people like that. It's a rare breed. Another thing that jumped out is the word all in this text is seen three times. It said, trust the Lord with all your heart and with all your ways. And another verse, with all your resources, with everything you are, everywhere you go, with everything you have. All. All. And then the last thing toward the end in verse 9 and 10, trusting is directly connected to tithing. Never seen that in this text before, that your first fruits are linked directly to your faith. I love the way one translation rendered it in a more modern vernacular since we don't think of tithing anymore in terms of the first fruits of our crops or the firstborn of our flocks or our you know, barns being filled with harvest or brimming over with new wine in our vats, unless you're a farmer or vintner, that is. But in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, it says this, honor the Lord with your finances, with the tithe of all your income, then your house will be filled with abundance and your life will brim over with blessing. Tell me who doesn't want that. But I can tell you what your brain is doing right now because I know what my brain does the minute someone starts meddling with my money. I start racking my brain and thinking through ways to logically justify my current lifestyle. I look to create a narrative that fits my confirmation bias to justify my behavior because I don't want to change, not in this area. And the words back off come into my mind. Just back away. That's why I love the two things this verse says not to do in your relationship to God when your first response as a first responder is to talk yourself out of things when it comes to trusting and tithing. First, don't lean on your own understanding in verse 5, which is to say just don't go with your gut reaction right now. Don't let what you feel determine what's real. Don't explain God's way away so easily. Don't rationalize your behavior to alleviate the pressure, conviction you feel. Don't talk yourself out of trusting the truth. Don't figure out your own plan of action. Don't grasp for control of your life. Don't lean on your own understanding. The second thing he says don't do is don't be wise in your own eyes, which is to say don't simply let your physical senses direct your next spiritual step. Don't think of yourself as more clever than God. Don't create a world that values the seen over the unseen. Don't construct a life according to mere human calculations with your calculator. Don't believe your own lies of compromise and concessions. Don't let the lust of your eyes breed greed or gluttony. Don't let the idea of stewardship form apart from generosity. And this has happened in a lot of our lives, that we think of stewardship and we've allowed that to form apart from generosity. When it comes to trusting and tithing, I see this leaning into our own understanding and doing what's right in our own eyes happen, even in my own heart. We are not naturally first responders. By nature, we are first rationalizers. I've heard people's rationalizations, their human understanding. They're, they're doing what is right in their own eyes, their own human perspective down through the years of ministry. Some have said, well, I don't, I don't believe in tithing. To which I respond, well, we as a church wholeheartedly do believe in tithing from stem to stern. So if you don't believe in tithing, I'd encourage you to find a church that doesn't believe in tithing, just like you. 
and get behind it with all your heart. If you want that kind of church experience, then find a church that has your belief system regarding tithing and see how you like it. Go find that and get behind it with all your heart. This is not that church. We believe in generosity and tithes and offerings and sacrifice and putting God first in our finances. I've heard people say, well, I don't believe that's even biblical to tithe anymore, to which I usually say then I don't understand why you have no problem enjoying, utilizing, and consuming all the benefits that come from other people's tithes and offerings at this church. You enjoy the modern facility, the inspiring videos, state-of-the-art sound system, moving worship, innovative kids ministry, the personable pastoral staff, other than John Bell, uh, (laughs) the various ministries and services our church provides, the way we pour resources into our local community, the weekly student ministry events, the heat, the air conditioning, the coffee, the manicured lawn, the mulch you know, landscape beds, the clean bathrooms, the plowed parking lots, the shoveled walkways, the relevant teaching, I could go on. Yet none of this would exist with any sustained vitality or vibrancy without people's faithful tithing. So how can you gladly eat the fruit of what you don't fundamentally believe in? Nonsensical. And I hear reasons people don't give. Well, I don't trust how the leadership of the church will spend it. To which I respond, well, you won't trust us with your money, but you'll trust our ministry staff with your soul? Putting yourself under our leadership to guide your one short life toward eternal meaning? You'll trust us to interpret the Bible correctly and unpack for you what it says about how you're to live your life? You'll give us your heart to handle each week, which is of infinite and matchless value, but not your finances? This seems strangely irresponsible and illogical to me. Well, I don't know if I trust the church with my money. Okay, so you'll entrust us with your precious children and your teenagers for nearly an hour and 15 minutes each week to nurture them and teach them and protect them and influence their vulnerable little minds, but not your money. You'll drop them off and put their impressionable little hearts in our hands, but you won't put your hard-earned cash in our hands? Huh? Either your kids don't mean a whole lot to you and your money means a lot to you, or something's wrong. I've even heard some really amazing logic, human understanding, that is so brilliant, I almost have to give people a mulligan and say, man, you beat God. You're smarter than he is. One that I heard last year from a person who worked in the children's ministry, they're not here anymore, so I'm going to actually share what they shared Well, I tithe of my time to the church by serving in a ministry and then giving the money that my time would be worth back to the church for free. That's brilliant. And I've heard people say that in different ways, not quite as brilliantly as that. But I remember this last time um, coming back and I was like, well, how much do you pay yourself per hour? Because I was like, I don't know. I've never seen anything on the internet about what are the comps to actually pay yourself. And they, they answered with calculated seriousness. I'm seriously. They said, about $25 an hour. And since I come a half an hour early and stay a half an hour late, I figure it's about three hours if I include travel here and back from where I live. <laughs> and that's what I give every week, $75, which is even more than 10% of what I get paid at my job. So you should be happy. 
that's amazing. And I think we all have ways of reordering the words in this famous verse to accommodate our revised version of faith. I put the me first version, which is this. Lean on your own understanding before you start trusting the Lord. And when your paths become straight, then begin to acknowledge him. But that's not what it says. It says, trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and then he'll make your path straight. Listen, we're creatures who lean on our own understanding and do what's right in our own eyes by nature. It's something we don't even have to try to do. We don't realize how much we rationalize to avoid sacrifice and courage and the cost of obedience, literally putting skin in the game. I remember seeing this clever rendering around the word realize, and it was this, realize, realize, realize. Realize, realize, realize. Now here's the thing, when we can connect the dots between tithing and trusting, resisting the lies we keep telling ourselves about our, our own commitment to God, all the while maintaining sole control of our lives, we can start to maybe make some headway in our faith, but not until then. I love the messages translation of Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. It says this, honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst and your wine vats will brim over. Give him the first and the best. It's important to note that tithing was never God asking for the most. He was only asking for the first. Tithing was the first and best 10% of what a person was blessed with by God. And as you read the Bible, you'll notice that people never gave their tithe. They simply returned their tithe because it was never theirs to begin with. It's always been God. And you might say, well, why, why does God give it to us? Why doesn't he just garnish our wages and we just are left with 9%? You know why? Because the Old Testament says he wants a free will offering. Because a free will offering is, is I have a decision of whether to give God back what is already his or I can steal it from him. And when you love out of a free will, it's actually weighty and meaningful. When something's demanded of you or forced or coerced or manipulated out of you, it's not the kind of offering God wants. So he gives us the opportunity to give back to him what is his or to take it from him because he wants a free will offering. Jim George said this, the basic question is not how much of our money we should give to God, but how much of God's money we should keep for ourselves. In this case, um, this word might be new for some of you here. Tithing literally means tenth. Tithing doesn't mean giving. It, it means tenth, the word tithing. So if you've been saying you're tithing and it's not a tenth of your income, you aren't tithing, you're tipping. Tithing, by definition, means returning a tenth of your income back to God. I... Uh, asked my wife to go to the bank um, to get some money out of the bank so I could sort of illustrate this and partially to see if we had any money in the bank. <laughs> um, but I have, I have some tens and I have some hundreds. This would be $100 in $10 bills. And what tithing was in the Bible wasn't spend my money, pay my mortgage, car payment, 
kids in four different sports, Starbucks, you know, vacation, whatever. Oh, God, thankfully this month I have $10 that I can give you at the end. Tithing was the first and the best. That's why it's called the first fruits. It's like, God, here's what's yours. Thank you for everything you provided. Now, what do I do to steward this for your glory? That's yours. So even with my, my kids, when I pull out one of their teeth and the tooth fairy comes and slides $5 underneath their pillow, I, which I, I, the tooth fairy didn't show up last time because he got into a basketball game at March Madness. Um, <laughs> my son comes out, the tooth fairy didn't show up. And I'm like, oh, he, he watches March Madness. Um, he'll come tomorrow night. But that $5, it's like, hey, Caleb, um, 50 cents goes to God. And then when my daughters get older and, and they make a little bit of babysitting money and they make $40, here's, and it's so cool now. It's like, mom, here's $4. It's like, no, no, you take that to church and you give that to God. It's just whatever that is, just the first 10, that's God's now. And then we teach them the next four, you save that, and now you can spend this. It was cool. My daughter, Tay, has been saving for two years for an Apple iWatch, I think is what they're called. And uh, just, I think part of the mark of the beast, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> she actually saved her money and spent it and got one of those with what she saved up that she can spend on herself. And then there's others of you. It's like, well, yeah, that's, that's kids. And, and then it's like, here's $1,000. I'm going to get mugged on the way home, I think. <laughs> I don't know who's here, but um, uh, I'll have bodyguards after the service. But here's a thousand. It's like, wow, a thousand's a lot of money. And, and you would think the more money you have, the easier it would be to put that first down. But the more money you have, the more you want to hold it close. Mine, it's my own, my precious. <laughs> I mean, I've never even seen a thousand bucks for like a bunch of years in green. Because um, my wife hoards it all. But this feels really good. It smells good. All this, this money. But it's like, now, God, that's yours. That's yours. I don't care if you're a little kid or a teenager babysitting or start working after college. You get that into your mind. And I'm just going to tell you, your vats will be brimming over. And your barns will be full. And your heart and your home will be full what it says in this text. Do you believe it? Do you trust the truth? I was reading this and I was like, man, even in this text, there are tangible benefits to trusting and tithing that are profound. Number one, he'll prolong your life many years because you trust and tithe. And some of you are like, oh, I don't want to live a long time. Well, then don't tithe. You'll, you'll die early. He'll bring you peace and prosperity. Anybody want peace? He'll grant you favor and a good name in the eyes of men and God. This is a relational thing that takes place. This isn't just a transactional thing. This isn't a banking thing. This is like a human relations thing. He'll make your paths straight where you're confused and you can't see your way clear through the fog. He makes it straight. He'll bring health to your body. 
He'll bring nourishment to your bones. And he'll fill your life with brimming over blessing. It's amazing. And this idea is backed up with another proverb a little bit later on. Chapter 11, 24 says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one world opens up more doors for you. The other one closes more doors, and you feel like your life's closing in around you. So even in your spirit, your perspective opens wider when you have a generous heart. But when you're stingy and greedy and miserly, your heart closes up, and you can't see life. For all it is, you're myopic. You're short-sighted. You become blind. Martin Ugu said this, as you give, your hand stretches. As you take, your hand shortens. So as a church, we take time every year to align ourselves and our priorities. We're always tuning ourselves to Jesus' heart throughout the years with our attitudes and our actions seeking to become like him. But once a year, we set aside time to make sure God is first in our finances. We believe in being a generous church, a tithing church. We believe that God so loved the world that he gave. And we want to so love God and so love the world that we mimic his activity, his habit, by giving ourselves. Before Jesus talked about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else being added unto you, earlier in the conversation in chapter 6, of Matthew, he was having a conversation in verse 20. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That means invest in eternal things. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When he says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, Jesus knows what he's talking about. He knows that our worship follows our wallets, that our wallets do not follow our worship. What we give to as first becomes first in time because our hearts were coded that way by our creator. We were hardwired with that first fresh flash before we had any second thoughts about putting God in second place. There may be no greater warfare of worship than when you surrender your wallet. After you surrender your heart, the surrender of the wallet is, I think, the hardest thing and the last thing in the discipleship of a believer. When you tithe, you face internal and external consternation and conflict over that decision and action because Satan knows that where your treasure goes, your heart will follow with reckless abandon. He knows the power of the discipline and the blessing of tithing, the sacrament of supremacy. It's more than a conversation about money. It's a choice of where you're gonna direct your worship for reals, as the kids are saying if we can get woke to this concept. Okay, I'll stop there. I don't, I don't know any cool words. Yeah. This action of tithing, to me, is the last beachhead of breakthrough in many people's journey of learning to finally fully follow God. I've discovered something, especially in the last eight years of being a lead pastor of a church, and I mentioned this last year, that there are three kinds of people that find it hard to give 10% in the church. Those who have too little, those who have just enough, and those who have too much. I found you. You're in one of those. I don't care what seat you're in. That, I found you. The hound of heaven's coming after you. And believe me, 
the same exact um, fleshly reaction in all of us happens in each one of those seats that we sit in. When we don't have enough, we can't do it because we don't have enough. When we have just enough, we just have enough. And when we have too much, we're like, there ain't no way I'm giving God that much. That's a ton. Suffice it to say that in our minds, there will always be a perfectly sensible reason to not tithe, humanistically speaking. So we're going to do something to break the spirit of mammon, as Jesus called it in Matthew 6. It was actually the God of money back then. As a church, we're going to repeat an initiative we presented at this time last year that revolutionized a lot of people's lives and reordered their priorities. We're calling it the 120-day first and 10 tithing challenge, where that first 10 is just something we do, and we want to test God in this challenge. And this challenge isn't what you think. It is challenging ourselves and our own obedience and discipleship but it actually is born out of a text in the Bible found in Malachi where God invites us to challenge him in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where he says, bring the whole tithe, the whole thing, into the storehouse. No, don't negotiate that there may be food in my house. You got food in your house. You're taking care of yourself, but I want you to take care of my kingdom and my purposes and my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty or the Lord of the angel armies of God and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me in this. It's the only time in the whole Bible that God throws down a challenge for us to test him. In another text it says, prove me in this, which is to say, I dare you to make me prove myself to you. He wants a challenge, and this 120-day first and 10 challenge is us taking him up on his invitation where he is almost taunting us to test him. We did a study by an external company who performed a thorough needs analysis on our body, and based on the median income of our area and the number of family units currently in our church, it demonstrated what our giving would look like if our whole church gave their whole tithe. We had to do this for the building and the campaign to do due diligence before we went into it. Currently, our church gives about thirty-eight to 40000 on a weekly basis, which is amazing, probably mind-blowing to some of you here, but that's at about 34% of people tithing. The potential, if 100% of people tithe, would be 70000 to 75000 weekly. I mean, I know those are, are big numbers, but, but when you think of all the people that come to all the services, if the whole church gave their whole tithe, wouldn't it be amazing to actually give away more than what we need for our operating budget to our community? Because everybody, we just have more than we need. And we already do that. Whenever we get more than we need, we just are able to be more generous to the world around us to show him the tangible love of Christ. And I think about 34% of people tithing and we're making budget and we're doing just fine. So this message isn't a message out of desperation at all. That's why it's really fun to give messages that aren't out of desperation. It's a message because I want this obedient life to bring these tangible peace and prosperity and health and wholeness to you through trusting and tithing. Because it is an act of obedience and you can say, well, well we, already, we already have enough. We're making budget. Why do you care? Because 
4% obedience, just, I can't tolerate that. What if this was like monogamy or infidelity? Well, 34% of our church, um, they're not faithful to their spouses, but we're not going to talk about that. There's just no way. I'd be up here right now just saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We believe in faithfulness to our spouse. Not just even 50% or 70%, but we just, we believe that we're going to teach the truth at 100%, hoping and praying that we can obey God right up to toe the line. Say, God, we love you. I'm not okay with 34% of people being faithful to their spouses. Why would I be okay with 34% of people being faithful to God with their first fruits? And it's critical that our church follows in obedience financially for a couple of reasons as we move into this new and exciting season in our, in our church's future. So we're getting ready to move into our new facility in a little over a month, absorbing the additional overhead costs of being in a larger facility. It's going from an 18,000 you know, foot facility to going to a 44,000 square foot facility. We're getting ready to hire several full and part-time staff members in the coming year to lead critical ministries and serve people as we grow numerically in the next couple months and years as a church. We want to prepare for that. And we need to stay generous to our local community and to the world around us by giving to redemptive efforts outside our church that serve those in need. We want to stay externally focused. And when we're generous, we can do that. For these reasons, we just need to graduate and are giving to new levels in order to be prepared to occupy our new facility and the growth that will occur as we move into our new church home. It's exciting, but it requires fiscal responsibility and practical preparation. So I want to encourage everybody in our body in this room with this phrase, at the first, be the first, to go first, with your first, for the first. Because he is the first. He's the, our first love, as it says in Revelation 2. To, to literally be a first responder. And I am not naive enough to think there have not been people that have come here for 15 years and still, still have not complied with God in this area of their life. In fact, I know that to be true, just be, statistically speaking. And I hope after 15 years, the hound of heaven has finally chased you up the tree and you're going to come down. And if you're new here, uh, you're, you're somewhat off the hook. Because I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to our family, our church family. But if you want to be a part of our church, well, I am talking to you. Because this is who we are. We're a generous church. We're a tithing church. Do you believe in what God says in his word? And I mean, I'm looking at your beady little eyeballs and everybody's just like on the edge of their seat like, what must I do to be saved? What, what can I do to give? Please tell me. I, I can't wait. Like, my hand is on my wallet. Like, what, what, what can I do? I'm so glad that you asked. Here's the three ways that you can give uh, right here. You can text to give. And that number actually works this year because it's the right one, unlike last year. Um, and that's more for just sort of the uh, people that use their phones. I don't get that. That scares me. We give online to impact.church. And you can get on there, and that just sort of collects your information. It's safe. It's private. And then just some people with, with check or mail or cash, they do it that way. That's the way we give around here. That's the way people give around here. 
So as we leave today, I just want all of us to look deep into our hearts and have that tough conversation uh, in the days to come, this kingdom-critical conversation, really, with God, with ourselves, with our loved ones, about how we can budget God into the top line of our economic spreadsheet, putting Jesus first in our finances. I love what Andy Stanley said recently to his church in Atlanta after having a conversation like this on tithing at the end of his message. He said this, God wants you to go home, look at your bucket of seed, and determine in your heart how much you need to sow into his kingdom. He wants you to consider thoughtfully your current circumstances, your life, your potential, and your finances. He wants you to involve your family. He wants you to pray about it. And then he wants you to come up with a plan to intentionally and systematically give. Not temp temporarily or temperamentally give, but devotionally give, not emotionally give. In our prayers, we move into this new season of locking arms and banding together and tithing is this, God, give me a thirst to put you first. I want to bless you so that you can bless me so that I can bless others. And we want to test him and watch him prove himself faithful in the coming years just as he's been faithful in the last 15 years of our church. Trust the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding to be first responders moving into this next and new season as a church. We've been a daring church for 15 years, and we've been a dreaming church for 15 years, and we are going to dare on, and we are going to dream on in the coming days. God, I, I want to thank you for the opportunity to talk about this on your behalf today. It's such a privilege for me to just stand up here and share your word and your heart. It's such a special thing to be able to have an intimate, personal conversation with our faith family here. And for my heart not to feel awkward, even if others do, I just thank you for what you've done for the last 15 years here and people laying down their lives and putting skin in the game. And it's time for the next group to step up. It reminds me of you choosing 12 disciples and them laying down their life. And then you go on in the Gospels and there's 72 that you call in beyond the 12. And we need the new 72 around here. So I pray that you raise up more disciples to follow you fully and finally in their life. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the glory for all that you do in the days ahead is every bit of green that is given turns to flesh and blood transformation. The people from the outside would look at our church and say, that is one of the most gracious and generous bodies of people in this whole county. We just want people to look at us and see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven, being light and salt on this earth. So in any way that our flesh is holding back out of fear. May our faith slay our flesh right now. And may we finally fully obey. For where our treasure goes, our heart is soon to follow. We love you, Lord, so much. You loved us so much that you gave your son. We love you so much that we want to give you our first fruits. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.
Amen. Hey, you're dismissed. Thanks for coming today.